History is full of amazing stories and memorable people. But we don't care about them. No hits, deep tracks only. Some of the most influential people in the world have been completely overlooked or just plain forgotten. I'm Phil, and each week I'll be joined by a friendly co-host to help me break down one of history's biggest moments and the forgotten people who made them happen. Hi, I'm Vince. I'll be today's guest host. And like Phil, I'm no history expert. See, we're just two regular people who enjoy a great story and plenty of laughs. This is History's B-Side. Today's B-Sider is the man who reintegrated the NFL. Okay, Phil, question. When were you the first at something? Uh... Almost never. I mean, (laughs) um, you know, it's not really being the first at something because as the youngest child of my family, like (laughs) I was generally the last to do things. But my middle sister, Allison, would always complain that I would get things at the same time as her. So like naturally, (laughs) my oldest sister, Lindsay, would be the first ones to get things. But um, I would get them at the same time as Allison, which Mm -hmm. she hated. But I guess I was the first boy in my family. And then... I don't know, like, yeah. Rita, I started dating my wife before either my sisters so there started dating their spouses, there. but we weren't the first ones married. I was going to we say, were... I really don't know if your sisters would be <laughs> dating other women first as well. That'd be a surprise, but. Oh, no. I mean... <laughs> but yeah, we weren't, we weren't the first ones married. We weren't the first ones to have a kid. We yeah. were, I don't know, I wasn't the first one to have a job. I wasn't the first one to graduate college or high school or whatever. But... Yeah. Well, don't tell Allison, but I always you two and i thought you were the oldest between the two of you <laughs> she'll probably be mad to hear that oh well i was she knows first, where i live <laughs> i was first chair trombone in middle school until i started to got to high school with some real <laughs> real good musicians who you know <laughs> met the rest of us yeah. you're like oh boy uh so yeah i'm the first son in my family like immediate family but even then like i have a cousin who's older than me and uh stuff but not much else was i first for but i got all the first things as a firstborn so yeah. like first baseball first car first all that was me but i'm not <laughs> someone who uh was like i'm not a trailblazer or a person who's pushing boundaries on, on things of first i like to think of in certain things but yeah i think i mean i'm sure this could be debated in a certain way but like there's not a lot of those types of people today because like right. most things have been achieved there's, or accomplished. Right. Now there's first generation college students and there's an actual, there's a lot of that going on. And I would say, I guess I'm the first of my immediate family, like among my generation yeah. to have gone to college and right. graduated um, and gone from there, like just immediate cousins and stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, other than that, um, you have first generation students, for example, who they have parents who maybe either never did it because all they did was work or. Yeah, my dad over. was like that. I mean, I'm pretty sure he would have been the first one because he's the oldest child as well. The mm-hmm. first one in his family to really go to college and get a degree. And he was going to go work in the steel mills with his father. Um, but he just happened to graduate high school right when the steel mills in Youngstown all closed down. Black Monday. Yeah, so he ended up going to college for like a criminal justice degree and now he's a lawyer. (laughs) So I I mean, I hope I got all that right, but um, 
I mean, he is one of those that like was first generation college mm-hmm. degree and probably had a lot of firsts in his life by being the oldest born as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely got got those in there. Um, the reason I bring that up is because when you talk about African Americans, many of them were the first in a variety of areas, particularly sports. We all know about Jackie Robinson being the first African American to break the color barrier, for example. So what we're actually going to talk about today is the man who is the first African-American in the modern era of the NFL. So he, as I would go, like he reintegrated the NFL. Yeah. For those of you who don't know what the NFL is, it's the National Football League. The only current consistent professional football league in the U.S. I was going to say, how can you have people, like how can people not know what the NFL is, especially living in America, but... I get that it's a history podcast and there's probably yeah. some people that don't care about sports that right, but maybe don't know. And, and in recent years, we've had other other professional leagues that have come and gone. The Arena Football League, for oh, example. Yeah. We had that in Youngstown at one point. Arena <laughs> the league Arena 2. Which is the minor league version <laughs> yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, you also have um, the USFL, which is opening up, uh, opening shop again recently. And the... Um, XFL, which was originally run by Vince McMahon. Um, so <laughs> well, they had that AAF. Is that what A-A-F-F, it was? AFF, something like that. Yeah, AAFL, which was the um, Alliance of American Football, I think. Yes, but, but that goal was it was a, a, a semi pro league that basically was utilized to highlight players that maybe the NFL had looked, yeah. overlooked to kind of get back into it. Unfortunately, that one failed as well. So that's why I say consistent because the NFL has been around for. A little over 100 years, and we'll kind of get into that in, in here in yeah. a second, but 1920 is when it started. So they've been con- a consistent professional – the consistent professional league, and as we discuss, as we know about pro leagues, MLB, NHL, NFL, NBA, they are a uh, monopoly as well. But they have a special monopoly that's granted by the government. So I'm like vaguely familiar with that. Like I know – Technically, MLB is like regulated by Congress or something. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was the NBA too. Can you do you all know much them, about that? All of them have a special agreement with the U.S. government that says they can monopolize um, their league area and be the only professional area in town, or negotiate exclusive rights with different cities and different areas. But the NFL is not like that. Yep, all of them. Oh, okay. M- NFL, MLB. It's a special. Um, a special exemption uh, for for these for these leagues, and that's why there's argument for when leagues or when teams want to move out or yeah. things like that happen. There's argument that they should have those exemptions removed and allow the people to really dictate what type of entertainment they really want to see. Well, I know. I mean, this is about baseball instead of football, but that's like a current issue with Oakland. Because they've been one, they have that stadium that was used by both the Raiders and the NFL and the A's and MLB. So like, it's still a it's a dump and it's a not a great place to play baseball. But they've been wanting to build a new stadium, but the MLB has this policy of you can't build two stadiums within X number of miles of each other because they have radiuses for their markets. But Oakland is so close to San Francisco mm-hmm. that they literally by MLB's own rules, they can't build another stadium for Oakland to play That's in. That's interesting because the Raiders also were having issues with getting a stadium built there. Yeah. That the commissioners and the county people were like, we're not paying another dime for this. Well, that I mean, that's the other side of it is that like MLB won't technically let them like build a new stadium within Oakland unless they make some kind of exception. And then the city won't 
pay for it, so they're threatening to just move the team entirely, which solves both right. problems, but that obviously isn't what the fans or the city really wants. Tennessee is um, Tennessee is now becoming the bogeyman of that. Nashville, yeah, Nashville's, Nashville, Portland, uh, mm-hmm. Charlotte, like there's, back to Montreal, like there's all these cities that mm-hmm. um, MLB is teased about bringing teams to. But... Well, Justin Timberlake is the backing group for, uh, one of the backing people for Nashville. So <sighs> they have, that's why so many people are worried about the Guardians now, our, yeah. our Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> um, the ownership recently has allowed another minor league investor, minor investor to come in, which is good because yeah. I think you and I could have a whole discussion about whether we <laughs> like the ownership of the Cleveland Guardians or not. For a different podcast. <laughs> right. But there is, there is debate and there's legitimate fear that if you get a, another owner in here, they're just going to go up and move the team down to Tennessee now. We've already seen this happen with our Browns. Uh, we've seen this happen with the, or attempt to happen with, again, I'm going to bring up MLS. I know you love that league. <laughs> the Columbus Crew, when the owner tried to basically pull, you've seen the movie, movie Major League, right? Yeah. He basically tried to pull what the ownership did. Yeah. Yeah, I'm vaguely familiar yeah. with those. I just don't follow. <laughs> so, yeah, that whole thing happened. So there's there's a lot of, like, issues of, like, using other cities to get leverage. Right. And because they have this exception, they're able to do these things because you can't have another pro team come in and try to outmuscle them. Right. But besides that, um, with the NFL in general, it's over 100 years. 1920 is when it started. In fact, they have a book, if you'd ever like to read it sometime, I do have it, 100 Years <laughs> in the NFL, some highlights and things yeah. like that. I can't remember if our B-sider is actually in it or not. I'll have to go back and look. Um, originally started in a car shop in Canton, Ohio. Today, there are only two original teams still in existence. Uh, we briefly discussed them. Do you know who they are? Oh, shoot, we did. Uh, the Cardinals are one, mm-hmm. I think. But Arizona they were in Arizona. Where were they? St. Louis? Chicago. Chicago. But then, is it Chicago Bears were the other one? Chicago Bears were the other one. They were known as the Decatur Stanleys originally. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And most of the teams at that time were based in Ohio. Um, Ohio, Illinois, I think Indiana was some. It was mostly just Midwestern area. And um, so we had teams like the Canton Bulldogs and the Maslin Tigers. So for yeah. Northeast Ohio people, those are high schools now. I mean, that's why the Pro Football Hall of Fame is in Cannes. Like, people Correct. are like, it's such a random place for pro football, which is this huge entity now, but it's a random place for them to have their right. Hall of Fame. But that's the whole reason. It's just that's where the NFL started. It's a really cool Hall of Fame, by the way. They're yeah. really building up the area. But you had teams in, in um, Dayton, Akron, all over, sprinkled throughout Ohio, Cleveland, Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first football, The first professional football game was actually played in Dayton. Oh wow! But there was teams in New York. There was teams in, in Indiana, Illinois, and as stuff moved around, you know they have teams close and open. And along the way, the NFL has had several mergers with other leagues over the years, including the AAFL, which is a uh, group that we've talked about. Uh, we'll, we will talk about later. Um, what does it stand for? Do you know? All American Football League. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that one is, uh, it's an old one. We'll talk about that as part of it. And the AFL being the last murder. Is that just American Football League? Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was in the 60s. And you still see all the teams in the AFL today. So the AFC Conference 
pretty much all of those teams were from um, were from there. Okay. Fun fact: the uh, AFC North, our conference for your my favorite team, the Cleveland Browns, mm-hmm. was developed because of Art Modell. Right. So when yeah, we love him. Great guy. So such a great guy. <laughs> he's another maybe F cider that we could talk about <laughs> one day. Um, <laughs> so on our sports history podcast. Yeah, I sports. feel like there's a certain segment that's going to love this episode, and then the rest of, like, people are like... Can I, we fast forward? History, yeah. <laughs> I like history because it's not sports. <laughs> yeah, but this this is actually an interesting, and this was actually in that book that I was telling you about. When the AFL came over, when they were forming, merging the leagues together, they needed to have an even number of teams in the leagues. The NFL had slightly more teams. Paul Brown had just bought the Cincinnati Bengals, mm-hmm. and they wanted – or found the Cincinnati Bengals, and they wanted them to move over. And he was like, I paid for an NFL team, not an AFL team. And they were trying to get people to come over, and Art Modell went to the owners and said, look, I will gladly move over to the other side so we can have even things, but Pittsburgh and Cincinnati must come with me. <laughs> because it's – Pittsburgh and Cleveland had had, had a yeah. rivalry for years. We can't get rid of that rivalry. It's really good. Cincinnati is going to be a new one. And then um, at that point, I think it was the Houston Oilers were the uh, extra team that was part of our central division. Yeah. And so um, that's how that's how some of these leagues and these teams have formed. So when you see groups like the AFC West, the Broncos, Chargers, they were AFL teams that have – that's why there's like bad blood among a lot of divisions, and it's hard to rearrange stuff. That's why the AFC South is such a weird. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah, conglomeration. <laughs> but the AFL was probably the best challenge to the NFL in terms of money, investments, and stuff. And they ended up getting, um, they ended up reaching an agreement and coming together. That's why we had the Super Bowl. Before it was called the AFL NFL Championship. And this is pretty similar. I mean, it's sports leagues, sports history. Like, it's pretty similar to a lot of the stuff we talked about in an old episode uh, about the actually integrating MLB, but way before it was MLB, like mm-hmm. the, the Fleet Walker being the first African-American professional baseball player. Right. Um, and it was just the the fact that you had all these different competing leagues that were their own entities and then eventually merged into what we know today. So in baseball's context was the... American League and the National League now form Major League Baseball, but Mm -hmm. in this case, it would be the AFL and the NFL merged into one NFL. Correct. And at that point, they hadn't figured out a Super Bowl name. So it was actually called the AFL-NFL Championship Championship in the first, like, three seasons. Um, Now, the AAFL, the All-American Football League, was um, taking place during the 40s. It wasn't very long-lived. It was... A short four or five years. It's actually where our Cleveland Browns originated from. Hmm. And uh, we won all the championships. Yeah. <laughs> we had Otto Graham, who was super good. Yeah. Uh, but that league was another one where they they were trying to match the NFL as much as they could, and eventually they got absorbed. And San Francisco 49ers came from there, and uh, the Browns and the Rams, oh. um, I believe, came from there. No, sorry. The Rams are in the NFL. My bad. We'll get back to that later. But um, this is so confusing. It is very confusing because there are two Cleveland teams. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of teams just getting pulled in. So a lot of the teams that we see are there's there's the original group and then they've expanded and added and dropped people and then they're yeah. absorbing leagues. So there's a lot going on. The modern era, however, is defined a few different ways. 
For our purposes, it's described by the NFL uh, Hall of Fame as the post-World War II era. Other sites say it's the 1960s, the Super Bowl era, as the modern era. So what happened to the NFL during World War II? Like, why why are there two different definitions of what the modern era is? So with, with post-World War II, that's when, like, how you see the field set up and, like, hash marks... The forward pass is more is happening much more. The way the modern game is played is is developing during that period. But did the leagues like shut down because of the war? Like you heard about that in baseball, where there just weren't enough players. They didn't really shut down. They were just severely reduced. Okay, and that's why the AAFL had come in trying to make like waves and think they could come in on the NFL at that point. Yeah, probably a lot of these leagues weren't. I mean, smaller leagues would have folded. Without having this supply of players. Correct. And, yeah. Exactly. And so as these – as war, as troops are returning home and stuff, these things are being developed. But some people say the 1960s is because that's when the teams merged, the championships were happening. This is the modern NFL. Right. But our purposes and a lot of other places start with that and the reasons are the lines, the hash lines, the passes, the way the game is being played – is being uh, is the modern era. Beforehand, yeah. you had just a lot of running straight left right wing back formations, T formations, which is literally in the shape of a T lined up behind a a, a line. Well, we're familiar with that stuff with the Browns because we have some good running backs and <laughs> we do. We just don't choose to use them all the time. <laughs> so, prior to the modern era, African Americans were playing professional football. Since the beginning, even before the NFL had formally convalesced, there were pro teams that would travel around and play. They were like travel teams. So we had African-Americans playing from that point onward. Fritz Pollard, for example, in the 1920s when um, when the NFL had formed, he was like one of the first big superstars. He uh, played for Akron, Milwaukee, Hammond and Providence from 1919 to 1921, and he helped manage them. So he was a player manager and a hmm. GM. He's a Hall of Famer. And have you heard of the Fritz Polar Alliance? No. It's a alliance named in his honor. Their goal is to promote African Americans to prominent positions in NFL coaching and front offices. Oh. Their goal is to try to get people in there. So you remember when Peyton Hillis had his amazing year for the Browns? Yeah. Yeah. Remember who the GM was? Was it Ray Farmer? Correct. Ray Farmer. <laughs> the Fritz Pollard Alliance was was who helped secure him get a uh, job in the front office with us and help so we could get cr- promotions upward. Huh. So it's a really good program. Yeah. Because the NFL is 85%. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, we're going to talk about race in the NFL. They still have a long way to go. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, the players are, we're talking about players in this episode, but, like, the players are majority African-American now, but coaching on up is, it's mostly white. There's not many offensive or coordinator positions that are, that have African-Americans or black people. Mm -hmm. GMs, even less. Head coaches, there's hardly any. Mike Tomlin. Current ones, ones. <laughs> yeah, I'm struggling. Come but, Tomlin. I mean, I can name some some retired ones. I mean, like Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith, and right. I think it's just Mike Tomlin. There's got to be someone else. Robert Sala is is 
not African-American. He is Muslim, so he's a minority coach, which they count. So a minority coaches in general, yeah. their goal is to promote minority coaches, but right. Arthur Smith, maybe. In no, fairness, I guy. couldn't name a ton of NFL coaches right no. now. <laughs> um, his uh, – oh, the head coach of the Dolphins is um, – is an African-American, and the GM is also an African-American there. Hi guys, just want to interrupt here with a little bit of context. At the time that we recorded this episode, we were midway through the 2021 NFL season, and Brian Flores, an African-American head coach, was still the coach of the Dolphins. Since the season completed, he was fired from his position and currently has a lawsuit pending with the NFL regarding racial discrimination. By the time this episode publishes, there may be some updates on that pending litigation, but it just goes to show more about the NFL's continuing problems with racial equality. We'll also talk a little bit about the history of the Los Angeles Rams and even touch on the Cincinnati Bengals long before those two teams faced off in Super Bowl 56. So there might be some things that are out of context, but just want to give you a little background on what the situation was like at the time that we recorded this episode. For now, we'll get back into it. So there's a few, but it's very as as we've just proven. Yeah, we can't think of many. And so, are there any uh, non-white owners in the NFL? Shad Khan of the um, of the Jaguars. Okay, is um, he is not. Everybody else is Lily White. <laughs> One out of thirty-two. Mm-hmm. So we've had these players playing in in this professional league. From 1933 to 1946, no African Americans were signed or drafted to the NFL. So, do you have any idea, like the the pre modern NFL mm-hmm. had African American players? Do you have any idea what their experience was like? Was it like were they generally accepted? Was it um, is it because the league wasn't structured as the way we view it now? We maybe don't. It wasn't as popular, so it, yeah. it wouldn't have been like in the limelight that you had black professional. Players. Correct. I think that. Who they played with didn't mind too much. Some of them probably did, so they hit them harder. But I think the owners weren't super thrilled by it. They were just trying to have bodies to have a product on the field. Correct. Yeah, <laughs> we we know that you're good enough, but we, we like they the last person to play in the NFL in 1933. I can't remember his name. He, um, the owner, had talked about how they reached an agreement with him that they would release him because. He was getting pretty beat up and a variety of stuff. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Um, there is rumor that in 1933, the owner of the Washington football team, formerly known as the Washington Redskins, um, during that period, mm-hmm. his name was George Preston Marshall, did not like black people. And uh, when he moved his team from Boston to D.C., which was – already segregated mm-hmm. he made sure his team stayed segregated and he was very vocal about this apparently so he oh, had influence super surprising <laughs> super surprising um he even changed the, apparently the song for them he changed the lyrics of their song for fight for dc to fight for dixie nice great guy let me tell you really really standout man but he kind of led the charge i think of not there was never an official block like in baseball with Kennesaw Mountain Land is literally saying no black people. Right. In in here there was nothing. It was a gentleman's agreement among owners to keep out African Americans. Probably more pushed by him than anybody else. Um as we'll see later on, 
took another 32 years after the NFL was reintegrated for them to sign another black person. <laughs> also with that, other explanations are that the league just focused on white players due to a shrinking market. They're trying to t- keep teams afloat during this time, and they know that getting white people is going to be an easier pill to swallow for some people who are paying for yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, which, again, let's be clear, none of that is a good excuse. Yeah, for None sure. <laughs> whatsoever. Especially when you had stuff in the past. Like, come on. It's and, just it's just a way to understand kind of how how these leagues developed. And it, it's just understanding the, the mindset of people at the time. Like, if you're trying to make a sport popular, which the NFL was nowhere then as it right. is today, like, you need to cater to the audience. And that's just kind of... Correct. But it was a white audience the, who didn't want to see non-white... The, Athletes. Which doesn't make sense considering that a lot of black players are playing in the NCAA in college. Yeah. You're I'm... just not drafting them and refusing to sign them. Well, it's... there's some other issues. There's a lot <laughs> of issues in that too. as well. Yes. <laughs> so there's, you know, your HBCUs and stuff that w- a lot of team, a lot of players had to go, went to those places. But yes, there's a lot of, that's a whole other <laughs> B-side that we could discuss another time. But all that changed with the Cleveland Rams moving to Los Angeles and the signing of Kenny Washington. So, obviously, we're, we're talking about the Rams in this story, this person. But I think it's funny that, like, the Rams started in Cleveland. And clearly, like, none of this happened in Cleveland. But right. on our baseball episode about Fleet Walker, like, we talked about Cleveland, then the Indians, <laughs> and how they, they had Larry Doby, Satchel Paige, Frank Robinson, mm-hmm. and a lot of, like, barrier breakers color barrier breakers played in cleveland not just bear but legendary barrier breakers. right yeah absolutely and like even fleet walker himself like played semi-professional baseball in cleveland so it's an interesting connection even though we're not talking about cleveland it really is and it's funny because they the whole goal of the cleveland rams moving to la is because they want to beat the aafl to get out to la the cleveland dons are the, or not the Cleveland Dons, the the something Dons. They call themselves the Dons. They were moving to L.A. as part of the AAFL. They're going to be the L.A. Dons, <laughs> named after the owner of the team or something. So, your L.A. Rams that are currently in L.A. that have moved to St. Louis and then moved back right. are originally the Cleveland Rams. So, uh, when the Browns ceased to exist, my dad actually became, well, I don't know if it was when they, they they moved to Baltimore or earlier in his life, but my dad is sort of at some point a Rams fan just because of their <laughs> originating in Cleveland. Yeah, um, that's maybe, cool. It might have been way before they moved. I'd, I'd have to ask him again. But yeah, I, I never really understood why because I always thought it was he when he was younger he liked the the Ram on the helmet. But mm-hmm. I mean, that's a good reason. <laughs> apparently, the fact that they were from Cleveland originally too is tied into it. Right. I liked the Dolphins because my best friend at the time liked the Dolphins, and I loved Dan Marino. <laughs> I still have an affinity for the Dolphins. The Browns are still my team. But, yeah, it is it is an interesting connection. It's interesting how this happened because they wanted to beat the uh, – they wanted to beat out the AAFL team and get there. But I just wanted to pitch, you know, my birthplace as a right. pinnacle of anti-racism, even though <laughs> they certainly have their own issues too. Yeah. With that in mind, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back to get into our main person. Before you inevitably skip this ad, take a moment to boop the snoot of your furry history's B-side companion. And while you do, 
Why not just the ad play in the background? Odie, get off the microphone! Boop. But seriously, we just wanted to take a minute to tell you some ways you can support the podcast on our website, historiesbside.com. The first and most direct way you can support our podcast is by signing up for a membership. You can join at any monthly contribution level, but we suggest $10 to start. Though, please feel free to pick whatever fits into your budget. A membership will get you access to monthly boneless episodes, show notes, future episode cues, surprise gifts, and more. We also have on there our merch shop, which includes things like t-shirts, hoodies, hats, drinkware, bags, stuff for adults, kids, and dogs, so you can rep your favorite history podcast everywhere you go. You'll also find extras, including free stickers, bookmarks, and postcards. You can suggest an episode topic, or submit a question about the podcast, one of our episodes, or even about us. That website again is historiesbside.com. And now, back to the episode. Boop! Well, welcome back to our enthralling football story. <laughs> I I just, I love sports stuff. So if you listen to the other podcasts, Sport Business is my undergrad and I love history. So when I can combine these, it's a ton of fun. The last time we did a sports topic, it was like me rambling about baseball, which is something that I like. And Matt, who likes sports, but not like on a very and Matt's on his own. Uh-huh. deep level. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, was like, he was like, I'm just going to let you talk about baseball and I'm gonna get some popcorn. I'll jump in when we talk about racism. (laughs) (laughs) I'm ready for this one. So the man we're gonna talk about today, his name is Kenny Washington, and he was a running back for the Los Angeles Rams, formerly the Cleveland Rams. Born in Los Angeles in August of 1918, his father played pro ball in the Negro Leagues, and he was raised by his grandmother and uncle, who was a first black uniform lieutenant in Los Angeles Police Department history. So already making first with this. Yeah. Um, and he was a multi-sport athlete in both baseball and football. So his father played in the Negro Leagues for baseball? Baseball. Was, okay, yeah. so there wasn't like a Negro Leagues for football. No. Um, that was – there's not a specific Negro League that I know of. I know that there were semi-pro integrated teams later on. But during this time period, it was just pro baseball, the Negro Leagues for baseball. I guess his dad really wasn't, from what I've read, his dad wasn't really involved in his life. He just – he would play baseball, go work, whatever, and when he was low on money, come back, get stuff, just hmm. disappear. So Washington really credits his grandmother, his uncle, with raising him. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, the, the so he's a multi-sport athlete, uh, particularly baseball and football. Uh, Kenny Washington attended UCLA where he was a tailback alongside Woody Strode, Ray Bartlett, and Jackie Robinson. You might know who he is. Oh, who's that? He's just some guy. Who uh, played football and baseball. Also uh, broke a color barrier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Pretty, pretty big name yeah. from so, American sports history. <laughs> right. So have you have you heard of, you know, the ESPN 30 for 30 documentaries? Yeah. You ever see the commercials? What if I told you? Yeah. What if I told you that there was a player who was better than Jackie Robinson in <laughs> baseball? Well, I mean. That would be Kenny Washington. <laughs> so a lot of. So people who talked about them said he hit he hit for better power, had a better arm, was more athletic than Robinson. 
So why didn't he pursue a career in baseball? I think he liked football better, to be honest. Well, I mean, I could see that. I mean, there's tons of well today NFL players that get drafted to play baseball and go play the NFL. Kyler for, Murray. Yeah, I mean, there's different reasons. Yeah. Obviously, like, there's more money, let's immediate say, money. more immediate money to be made in the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also less brain soup to be made in baseball. Correct. <laughs> right. Um, but he, I think he liked football better. Um, it, I They didn't really say. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get the sense that money probably wasn't the driving factor for Kenny Washington. I'm sure it was to some extent, but like if he's breaking a color barrier, he might not have seen a future in the NFL coming out of college. Right. I'm wondering if he also, he wasn't a big baseball guy because of his father. If yeah. his father's ditching him. Well, that's what I mean. He probably truly did just love football mm-hmm. rather than baseball. I, I, that's, what I'm, that's what I've kind of gotten as well. Um, as I mentioned, these four people, Washington, Woody Strode, Ray Bartlett, and Jackie Robinson, were four Af- the four African-Americans on the team, which is very rare even in college to have that many players on one team. He was the tailback, and that meant uh, he handled the ball a lot. Uh, Washington ran and threw. So often, he'd be doing both. So kind of like the quarterback position as of now, but with a running back combination. Hmm. Washington rushed for 1,914 yards in his career, also passed just as often as rushing. Yeah. A school record for 34 years. He was the first Bruin to lead the nation in total offense and the first consensus All-American in UCLA history in 1934. What I mean is that every team they played and every person in the country had him on a ballot, that he was one of the best in the nation. Would that have been kind of progressive to kind of give this honor to an African-American or was it like, was that more common than I guess? Um, I guess I'm not that familiar with, you know, no. racial integration in the <laughs> yeah. NCAA. I know that's a big like dark area too, as much as yeah. it is in pro sports, but it seems that if you had four black athletes on their football team, they were at least a step ahead of Yeah, California seems to be pretty progressive leaning with this type of stuff to begin with. That's true. Um, I mean, he probably would have been more accepted there than in yeah, certain other like, cities. Yeah, when you think of the state of California, you've got th- – the only reason California is as big as it is is because the government couldn't regulate what the state would be shaped like because too many people were already in it. <laughs> There's a fun book, How the States Got Their Shapes. That's where I have that. I have that book. I'm a giant nerd. Um, but yes, so you have that and you've got, um, you've got, uh, Spanish Americans, you've got Mexicans and Mexican Americans that are living in Southern California. You've got white people, white people who have traveled across the country for gold digging and stuff. And you've got this intermixing, you got African Americans, you've got people from Japan and stuff who have come over to work on construction and railroads and stuff. You have a large melting pot in California. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, now, I'm sure there were plenty of tensions still. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they faced a lot of issues traveling to other schools as well, that areas that wouldn't have been as accepting of this. Right. And um, so I'm sure this is still – these issues are still happening. Like, But this, this part's kind of progressive. Despite this and also playing as defensive back, and this is where we get the racism coming up. He was named second team All-America instead of first. It was admitted from the East-West Shrine game which is like the college all-star game. Oh, wow. Uh, This was outrageous to many and deemed as racial discrimination among media. 
So at least some people are recognizing like, hey, his talent is far outweighing what you're doing to him. But he's still not earning the honors that he probably deserved. he's still not earning the honors (laughs) that he probably deserved. So it's one of those, um, it's one of those things where like, yes, he's being recognized, but not recognized to the level that he should be. So it's a, um, it's kind of difficult with that to kind of reconcile those things. And again, it's, it's the thirties and forties, World War II is happening and, right. but we know that there's still, even then there wasn't a ton of, there was still a ton of segregation and a ton of stuff happening there. Mm-hmm. Allegedly, after graduation, George Hollis wanted to sign him, but was unable to convince owners to allow integration. I put unable to convince owners and allow integration in quotes. Because he should have been able to convince owners, or? Yes. It's probably a choice. <laughs> yeah, I can explain to you who George Hollis is. Okay. Um, he's one of the founders of the NFL. <laughs> he founded the Chicago – he didn't found the Chicago Bears. He was like the coach and the GM of the Chicago Bears, then became the owner. So his family currently owns the Bears. Yeah. He is a big name in there. There is controversy about George Hallis and that he uh, did not let black people onto his team. Remember how I said those 32 years after integration – the Redskins didn't have a team or the Washington football team didn't have that. Mm-hmm. I stand corrected. It was the Bears. <laughs> Considering that their one of their uh, players, Sid Luckman, was their quarterback, I believe, if I remember correctly, Sid Luckman was African-American. He was like their star guy early on. So and this George, was, he was pre-modern or? Yeah. Okay. So it was after this is when they basically, yeah. by so, policy, stopped allowing black players. Yeah. So I think that if I remember correctly, now I could be totally wrong. I don't remember. I don't remember Sid Luckman to be honest with you, <laughs> but um, Hallis has been accused of being the guy to race to help bar, help kind of push for that thing. So he told during the um, there was some sort of ceremony in Chicago. He told him to st- he told Washington to stick around. And he could see what he could do about getting a getting him onto the team to sign him. Yeah. And uh, he was, and then he came back a week later and told him he couldn't do it. Um, the draft comes and goes. He's not drafted by any team in the NFL, and so he joins the LAPD and ends up coaching the freshmen at UCLA. Oh wow! From 1940 to 1945, he also plays for the Hollywood Bears of the Pacific Coast League. What was the Pacific Coast League? Is that professional football or semi-pro? But okay. it's a highly integrated team. So uh, him, Strode, his, Willie Strode, his his teammate, and um, I think his other teammate, uh, Bartlett, I think all played for the Hollywood Bears. Uh, so during these years, was he both a police officer and a football player? Yeah. Is that like, could you do them at the same time or was he like a police officer during the off season? I would assume it's more that, like he was playing and then he would go back to the police force and be an officer at yeah. that point in time. Guess it's a and good they, way to stay in shape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they didn't really say, but he he had done bo- he had been doing both of those things and coaching at UCLA. <laughs> so he's doing a lot of different things, and he's very good at it. He's the league's highest paid player and earned all league recognition, including his first year when he suffered a knee injury. As well as these things, while he was at UCLA, he did some work for the Warner Brothers, and he also had some acting jobs that he could perform. <laughs> Him and Strode both had some acting jobs. Wow. Yeah. Busy guy. Yeah. In his first year in the league, 
he suffered a knee injury, and this prevented him from serving in war uh, during World War II, and instead he served a USO tour. Do you know what that would have entailed? Uh, just kind of going around and rallying the troops, probably, that type of thing, or showcasing athletic ability or something okay. like that. Um, so um, you remember how Captain America in the movies went around and like rallied the troops? Not a movie guy. You haven't seen any Captain America movie. <laughs> no. It's terrible. Have you gone on YouTube and watched video clips? Nope. It's not really my thing. You can use that for your job and be like showcasing like fun clips for games or something at your You don't have the job. rights to Marvel movies. You have YouTube. Just throw it up <laughs> That's there. Not how that works. <laughs> it does. No. <laughs> but anyway. Captain America, when he gets his powers, instead of actually sending him to fight the crazy Nazi <laughs> supreme guy, they instead have him going around giving rallies and stuff. The USO is just basically a tour yeah. group. So they he did stuff like that. Yeah. So when the Cleveland Rams moved to L.A., they wanted to use the publicly owned L.A. Memorial Coliseum, as did the L.A. Dons of the AAFL, which created pressure on the NFL to integrate. Why? Because both black and white taxpayers had paid for the stadium. Now, there is one person that is also credited with making the Rams integrate. Essentially forcing the Rams to integrate. The LA Tribune sports editor, William Holly Harding. A former pro athlete and current African American sports columnist. We'll keep these two items in mind because they kind of go hand in hand. I think the the stadium thing is really interesting, though. Like, we, we were talking earlier about the the conflict between the leagues and the cities for stadiums. And mm-hmm. it's still, like, a big issue today, like, taxpayer-funded stadiums and right. kind of the impact that that has on the communities. But I love the idea that the taxpayers could argue for them to integrate because they funded the stadium that the team wanted to right. use. Right, exactly. They they wanted this they wanted to use the stadium and they're like, look, black and white taxpayers pay for this. You have to you have to integrate. And you need to sign Kenny Washington. You should have signed him back then. <laughs> He's the best player. You sign him. He's Kenny Washington is a legend in LA. I'm shocked that that worked though. Well Well it might not have worked in other cities so where he wasn't a star here's, UCLA. Here's kind of why it worked. They had the delegates from the GMs from the L.A. Dons and the Cleveland Rams and Hallie Harding hears about this and sets up a report, a conference with black media members. And they just grill into these guys. Well, what are you <laughs> going to do about this? You should be signing Washington. You need to – if you're going to do this, you need to be here. And they basically pressured him, the GM of the – Rams was, did not want to be seen as a racist, was having a hard time, like, defending action stuff. Right. Meanwhile, the Dons are promising they're going to hire somebody. They're going to blah, – blah, but they're not moving forward. And Hallie Hardy and, and these people are asking them what they're going to do. Like, we'll sign someone. Who are you going to sign? When are you going to do it? How are you going to do this? And so what they said was that they used the stadium as cover. So when they went to sign, when they decided that they had enough of the pressure and they wanted to actually do this and laid it all out and worked it out with them that they would sign sign someone, they said that if the league, the owners got back and started yapping at them that they signed a uh, black player because 
the league wasn't happy about it. Mm-hmm. They could use the stadium and say, look, we wanted to use the stadium because we want to be a good face in L.A. We want people to come to the games. They said we had to integrate to use the stadium. That was more the cover. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> kind of a lot. So William Haley Harding is really the guy who pushed this stuff. Yeah. And he pushed Kenny Washington specifically. Just because he was so good at UCLA? He was so good at UCLA. He was so good with the Hollywood Bears. I mean, you're leading the league in rushing, and you're the highest paid player, and you have a knee injury in your first year, and you're still doing that. (laughs) And you're passing. So they wanted to sign two people, and when they asked Washington who they wanted, he wanted Strode, his teammate. Now, keep in mind, these guys are nearly 30. (laughs) So this is not prime Kenny Washington. I mean, you saw a lot of the same things in baseball when they integrated too. Like Satchel Paige is a great example because he had like a, I think he was 60 by the time he was finally, finally retired from <laughs> Major League Baseball. I, that Page. might be wrong, but he no, was, you, you, was it 60? I, it's, it's in the 60s. Because he, he came and left baseball a few times, but by the time that he was actually in the American League with the Indians, mm-hmm. um, I think he was... 40 he won like rookie 42 47 like like he was in his 40s it's not like the these players that were barred from playing professional sports were coming straight out of college or were in their athletic prime like a lot of them had other careers whether they were sports or not right before they finally made it into the leagues exactly satchel page had a true rubber arm that dude (laughs) could throw like still throw in his 80s there's some was, really great interviews with him. Talking about YouTube videos, incre- there's some really yeah. great videos of him. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. But Kenny Washington is one of those guys that they really should have signed. And that's the thing that Harding was really pushing. Like, you should have signed him back in his day, and you're doing this. And it's also going to look really good that you're signing a local legend. Yeah. Consequently, with all this, the team signed Washington on March 21st, 1946, along with his former teammate at UCLA and current teammate for the Hollywood Bears, Willie Strode, on May 7th. This was, I have a full year, before Jackie Robinson integrated the MLB. Technically, it was six months. (laughs) But still, we go on and on about MLB and Jackie Robinson, rightfully so, because Robinson did it with grace and tenacity, and he was really, really freaking good at his sport. Mm -hmm. And so, there's a lot there, but... We don't talk about it. Six months before the NFL was doing this. So. Against their wheel mostly, but they're still doing it. <laughs> when you say with grace and tenacity, does that mean, like Jackie Robinson with grace and tenacity, does that mean like Kenny Washington was not? Same exact thing. <laughs> Quiet. He didn't really talk about it, but it kind of gnawed at, at them with the way they were treated a little bit. If there's a quote attributed to either him or Stroud, it's kind of a toss-up that says, if heaven needs to be integrated, I don't want to go. <laughs> similar to, I'm sure similar to Robinson, he kind of kept his mouth shut that first year, and then if he needed to speak his mind, he was known to speak out when he needed to. Yeah. Huh. But also, seeing these players play um, in a violent sport helped Branch Rickey to decide that he could sign Robinson. He saw blacks and whites interacting in a violent sport and could coexist. So kind of in a roundabout way, Kenny Washington helped Jackie Robinson. Helped his teammate. <laughs> break mm-hmm. the color barrier in the other sport. Yep. 
It, I mean, it's also plays a big role into this, the fact that football was nowhere near as popular as baseball. Right. Obviously very different than what we have in today's America or right. like our view of sports now. But like football just wouldn't have been the big stage for this type of progressive racial move. Like baseball was the the top tier, the, the oh. pinnacle for African-American athletes to be seen as on par with white athletes. Mm-hmm. What do you think caused the shift for us to be so obsessed with football now instead of baseball? One, I think, was the lockout in 1994. Um, A lot of people turned away from the game after that. Another, I think, is that football is very easy to watch on TV. Mm -hmm. And it's more action-oriented, even though it's short (laughs) action-oriented. Not slower moving, but there's a lot long gaps between the action. But they're scoring. Yeah. So that's the thing. You see a lot of – you see something happening every time. And so I think with t- TV and TV rights and, and broadcasts really kind of push football forward. Mm-hmm. Baseball is pretty, but it can be very stagnant. I also think – not that any of this has to do with Kenny Washington, but I think the the boom of like fantasy football has done mm-hmm. a lot of that. Even though fantasy football actually started with baseball. Right. But it's way less work to have to do it once a week versus <laughs> – Almost right. every day. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I think the the idea between that and the, the gambling aspect, I think, helped boost popularity a lot as well. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting to think back on that, that like football at one point was just kind of this thing that was happening and really only happening in America, still really only happening in America. Right. right. But it's like today it's this untouchable industry that you know, is only in this country, but still nothing can come close to it. When at this time, nobody really cared about football. (laughs) Right, exactly. These leagues are struggling to survive. You have the league, yeah, leagues are struggling to survive. They're trying to fight each other for stuff. World War II is happening where people are coming back and they're they're trying to get into different things. Like, this is just a, I think that really the explosion happened after the first champion, the championship the afl won when the colts beat the super bowl three the jets beat the colts the guarantee by joe namath that was the first one where people were like oh this football thing is like exciting i think that's really when the popularity of the nfl started because that was called like the game of the one of the games of the century Hmm. Because it was Joe Namath, the new of New York, New York. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's guaranteeing it was little brother being big brother. Sports love their big market teams. <laughs> exactly, and the NFL. If you look at where the NFL is located, they're not in small market cities anywhere. Well, a little bit. I mean, like Foxborough and Green Bay, but that, Green, Green Bay has its own little history. But Foxborough gets Boston. Right, Foxborough is more regional, though. So yeah. that's where you pull that in. But Miami. Jacksonville is a weird one. Houston, Dallas, Cleveland, Cincinnati has a large TV market. All those cities have baseball teams too, though. <laughs> right. Not Jacksonville, but... But um, then you've got um, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, you've got Seattle. And yeah, those, they have them, but, but, the, but the MLB also had a lot of small teams in small places uh, going around. Like the first professional baseball team... Is the Cincinnati Red Stockings, mm-hmm. or the Reds now. And baseball has this whole long story history of the game progresses this way and like this. And the NFL is kind of chaotic and just 
comes together. Yeah. So it's an interesting contrast to see how they've kind of flipped. But I really think it, it has to do with TV marketing, um, the inventions of the, the strike in the 90s, and just how people perceive the action. Yeah. So at the same time that this was happening, the AAFL, which is home to Phil's and my favorite team, the Cleveland Browns, we've talked about <laughs> them a few different times, signed Marion Motley and Bill Willis in 1946. So pretty much the same time, just slightly after. It's interesting because both of those guys are Hall of Famers. And the NFL Hall of Fame has their information up. Similar to how MLB in their Hall of Fame has Jackie Robinson in the forefront with courage. And they have a statue with his name and courage and stuff. I've never been there. I want to go. I haven't either. I've been to the Football Hall of Fame and I forgot about (laughs) that. They have a big statue of their very first commissioner for the NFL. And he is... Jim Thorpe, uh, those of you may know who Jim Thorpe is, he was a Native American, and he played a bunch of sports, but he was really good at a lot of stuff, including football. <laughs> There's a giant statue of him, and there are other statues of Marion Motley and Bill Willis in the NFL Hall of Fame, and they kind of pushed them as the forerunner or the barrier breakers. That's incorrect. So why doesn't Kenny Washington get that recognition? Um, I think it's because... Prior to the first season in the NFL, he had surgery on both knees, which is his fifth surgery. He only played for three years. Willie Strode only played for one, and they just cut him. Hmm. I think some of that was they were mad that they got forced into this. <laughs> yeah. But even though he only played for three years, he led the league in yards per carry in his second year and holds the record for the longest run from scrimmage on the Rams, a 92-yard touchdown. Is that a Rams record or is that an NFL record? Just a Rams record. Okay. And that's still standing? Still standing as far as I know. Huh. That's cool. The, um, I think the longest run for a scrimmage is like 100 yards or something. Oh, well, can't do much more than that. Right. Yeah. You could get 103 or something. The longest (laughs) record is held by a Steelers player. (laughs) There's no bias on history's B-side. We play both angles, Cleveland and Pittsburgh. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, we're moving on from that atrocity. <laughs> um, um, but I think it was a little bit of that Motley and Willis are, are Hall of Famers. They did really well. So they're like, oh, we're going to push them forward because they were signed at the same time. But because it was the AAFL and not the NFL, technically Washington is the one. Hmm. So even though he was very severely diminished playing-wise – um, when he retired in 1948, 80,000 people attended his final game and they got a standing ovation. Oh, that's awesome. They knew that uh, he was a legend and he deserved to go out. So he was popular in Extremely. Los Angeles. Did he face any of the kind of like racial aggression that Jackie Robinson did? From what I've read, he kind of did, but he did it. He didn't really retaliate. So when he and Strode would go on the road with teams they would, the teams would go into the hotel, his white teammates, and they would get, peel off a bunch of money and give it to them to go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it was because of discrimination and, and, and stuff. They, um, like he was trying to get into the uh, Washington football team stadium and they refused to let him in because he's a black guy until someone can't be like, no, he's on the team, let him inside. So yeah. stuff like that. I'm just shaking my head because I could yeah. absolutely see that playing out. Exactly. And it wouldn't be surprised if it was the owner of the current team. Oh. 
He has his own <laughs> mess of problems. Yeah, he does. But there were other times when him and Strode just liked the autonomy. And so the one night they were out at this club in Chicago, they were like, this is the most... They were at some club in one of the black areas, and they were like, this is a... This, we've never seen this many people at once all together, and mm-hmm. it was kind of cool. And five of their teammates came and found them. They f- had thrown a fit about a fit, but they had refused to sleep in a different area aside from the teammates. So they brought them back to the hotel. Oh wow! So they at least said that it wasn't the team did not care. So their teammates were fine with it. it was yeah, probably a lot of the outside noise. Yeah, and coaches and stuff like that. I'm sure had it out for him, but Strode and some of the others would kind of retaliate on when they would attack Washington. So in the game or things like that. It, it is interesting because they didn't really talk much about it because he was kind of a quiet guy, it seems like. He didn't really mm-hmm. bring things up. But I'm sure that there was stuff there. I'm sure it was similar to, you know, Jackie Robinson's experience and Fleet Walker, but although he was so much earlier that probably faced right. some... Some even more like different types of uh, aggression, I guess. But just the fact that he was probably not 100%, but fairly accepted in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and among his teammates. But once you start getting into the other cities, that's when, you know, the the real problems happen. Right. Exactly. And I, I just think it's interesting that they that the NFL doesn't really they, – they had this big, long video on him and about his life or something about a year or so year or so ago it seems like so they're kind of kind of making some reconciliation with it Mm -hmm. but they're still not really pushing it forward and again you have motley and willis kind of carrying the torch inside the the hall of fame about that which is a little disingenuous not that they didn't face their own stuff or their own issues but if we all know that well you and i know that the nfl is always not the most forthcoming with things (laughs) so there's always issues with the nfl it seems it's very drama centric. Shocking. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's like male soap opera. <laughs> it's one of those things where it's it's Willis and, and Motley deserve all the credit for being ra- barrier breakers as well. Right. But give credit to the others. Come on. <laughs> so after retirement, he returned to the LAPD while also working at a grocery store chain and as a whiskey distributor. He also serves as a part-time scout for baseball for the Dodgers, where his son Kenny Jr. played for many years. And he went back into films. In <laughs> fact, it turned out him and Strode was actually a pretty good actor. Um, he was in Spartacus. He was in a few Italian spaghetti westerns. <laughs> He's been in a bunch of. He was in a bunch of different things. So Strode and him had had done some of that some of that stuff. Um, Washington died of a heart and lung problems at the age of fifty-two in Los Angeles. He is in the Court of Honor at the L.A. Coliseum and inducted to the College Football Hall of Fame. So he did get his he did get his accolades at the College Football Hall of Fame, at least. Yeah. Located in Atlanta, Georgia. It's brand – it's new. It opened 2019, I believe, or just before the pandemic. Oh, wow. Really cool. Highly recommend checking it out if you get a chance. If I ever go down to Atlanta – Oh, you probably go there more than I trip. do. <laughs> I, I have, yeah, <laughs> I have a brother down there who who, <laughs> who works down there. Um, shout out to him. But uh, it's it's actually a really cool, really cool opportunity. I think you'd really like it. Yeah, Rita might enjoy some of it. 
I don't think Rita cares about college football. <laughs> there are other places. You can go to the Well, oh, there's lots of great food in Atlanta. There and... <laughs> is. And there's, there's a really cool aquarium. There's a Coca-Cola factory history center that you could go to. Yeah. A lot of cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so his jersey was also retired by, by UCLA. It's the first jersey retired by them. Another reason I think why he was really liked by UCLA is that he played, obviously played really well against them, but he led their team to like their first undefeated season, ending with a 0-0 tie against UC, against USC, their arch rival. Yeah. So anytime UCLA can get one up on USC, <laughs> always a good thing. As mentioned before, neither him nor Stroud were elected to the World Football Hall of Fame, but both Motley and Willis were. It's believed Washington has been ignored due to the MLB being the national pastime during the 20th century. So Robinson breaking that barrier is more important, and Washington only played three years in the NFL. So it's one of those things where he probably faced that discrimination. We we saw that, but he hasn't really talked about it, or he didn't talk about it. Much. Yeah, I just I thought this whole topic was interesting, just because we everyone knows Jackie Robinson, and we've talked about baseball before on this podcast about the color barriers there, and I don't know. It's just it's this guy who was really the first person to break that color barrier in the NFL with a group of people, but he was really the first one to... First one signed. Yeah. Well, just like um, Dobie was signed just shortly after. Yeah, and he's not known as well as Jackie Robinson Mm -hmm. was. But even Kenny Washington came before Jackie Robinson. And I I also love the idea that, yeah, they they were college teammates. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I think he's a cool story, even though he's just someone that's not particularly well-known, even among, Mm. in his own field. Like, there's probably tons of NFL players who don't know who he is, and the NFL doesn't recognize or celebrate him the way that MLB does Jackie Robinson. They're starting to get to it, but again, I I think it's going to take a long while for that because I think the NFL is kind of ashamed at it. (laughs) You know, you... You got you got your you got yourself hand tied to sign somebody you probably didn't want to sign. <laughs> At some point, it's going to be too obvious to ignore. But like, come on. <laughs> well, I think you've pretty much showcased your knowledge and passion for football history. You think you can handle a little three question quiz? We'll see. Let's let's hope you didn't find some super obscure fact I don't know about. I have to discreetly look up on my phone. Uh, it's not all about NFL history. I think. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how it goes. <laughs> we'll be right back. Well, thank you, Vince, for guest hosting an episode of History's B-Side. Yeah, it was fun. I'd like to give you the... Uh, Regular treatment here where we quiz you after doing all this extra work for me for absolutely free, just dedicating <laughs> his time to cataloging lesser known people in history. I got a lot of water and tea out of the deal and some dog pets, so <laughs> that, that was helpful. That's your payment. You get jumped on by my dog. <laughs> so as our listeners know, we like to end every episode with just a short three-question quiz to kind of test today's host and see how much he studied his topic and around his topic and maybe you the listener can play along maybe you're a football fan or a kenny washington fan yeah (laughs) you can guess some of these as we go i don't think they'll be terribly difficult it's Mm -hmm. stuff that you probably did come across as you were reading up on him but 
stuff you might know as well, just from your your knowledge of yeah. football history. So I we'll guess see. we'll find out. Um, so the first one is not about Kenny Washington, but I still feel like you might just know it or be able to guess it. It's a topic that we take very seriously as members of or fans of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> So in 1945, which was the year prior to Kenny Washington signing with the Los Angeles Rams, the Cleveland Rams went 9-1 and one and won the NFL championship. Mm-hmm. What two factors caused the team to move to Los Angeles immediately following their championship season? Mm, that's a good one. Let's see. Probably something to do with stadium rights. They either lost a lease or... Nothing to do with stadium no, rights. No attendance issues? Attendance is the first one. Okay. So they had very poor attendance. It was actually the second lowest in the league, above mm. only the Cardinals, who were not very good. So yeah. the championship team was just barely ahead of a really bad team. I'm, I'm assuming part of that is because of the Browns. Like, they're, they're obsessed with the Browns, and Paul Brown particularly. So that's the other half of it. The city, I mean, the Browns didn't exist yet. Yeah. But they were slated to become a team in 1946. Uh-huh. So yeah, so the the owner of the well, the soon to be Los Angeles Rams, Dan Reeves, didn't believe that they would be able to compete in the Cleveland market with a second professional football team, even though the soon to be Browns were in a different league than hmm. the Rams. But yeah, I mean, those are the two reasons that hey, just poor attendance. All and right, <laughs> the incoming Cleveland Browns. Paul Brown is beloved in Ohio in general, but in Cleveland in particular. You know, he was um, Miami Red um, first the Miami Redhawks coach, first Maslin, Maslin Tigers, I believe, yeah, the Kenton Bulldogs, then Miami Redhawks, then Ohio State, where he won a national championship, <laughs> then to uh, Cleveland. It's probably a good way to get yourself an Ohio football. Yeah, legend. <laughs> right, exactly. When you when you start the cradle of coaches, when you. Uh, Get a national championship when you win multiple championships and then found another another team that goes to a Super Bowl twice. <laughs> All right. So your second question, and you came so close to saying this one in the episode. <laughs> I was really worried, <laughs> but you didn't quite mention the actual answer. And so you mentioned that uh, his jersey number was the first one retired by UCLA. Mm-hmm. What number did he wear? 13. I did mention it. <laughs> did you? Yeah. I said his jersey number, number 13, was retired. Oh, I didn't think you said the actual number. <laughs> I said All right. Well, you got probably. a freebie then. But yeah, he, <laughs> he wore that both at UCLA and for um, his three seasons with the Los Angeles Rams. Nice. Well, man. Sorry. I am not stumping you. <laughs> this is not good. Question number three. You mentioned that he was an actor and starred in, he starred in some TV series as well, but uh, three main films. Can you name any of the three films that he starred? Oh, I wouldn't. I don't know that star is the right word, but three films that he played a role yeah. in. Porter. He was a porter in one, but I don't think that's. I think that's a job, not an actual movie. Oh, I honestly have no idea. <laughs> yeah, this one is pretty tough. They br- they briefly mentioned it in some of the re- readings, but it was again mostly was about Strode, who really got in the movies later on. He made over a hundred films. Oh wow! So I don't know. <laughs> about Washington. So the movies, two of them came out in 1949. They were called Rope of Sand and Pinky. Okay. The third one came out in 1950 
and it was the Jackie Robinson story, which I thought was super interesting because it, wow. it was like, and like you've seen the movie 42, yeah, the recent movie 42, but it seems like an very early version of that, like a very similar mm-hmm. story, except it actually starred Jackie Robinson as himself. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, just judging by the timeline here, like Jackie Robinson would have filmed this movie while he was still playing right. for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Kenny Washington was in it. He's credited as having played the Tigers manager, oh, which I assume means Detroit Tigers, but that seems odd that they would have had a black manager. Um, That might have been... So it could have been like a Negro League thing, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that one might have been the... Um... Oh, shoot. I haven't seen the movie. I would like to find it. I think I actually read that it's like in the public domain, but it might not be anymore. The Robinson family might have gotten the rights to it or something. Yeah, probably. I know that everyone knows about the 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 monarchs. That's their. Um, you said you said the tigers, right? Yes. Just trying to see. I'm looking up the Negro League names just to see Cincinnati Tigers. So maybe that's what maybe I, I don't know. That. We'd have to, I guess, see the movie to figure out. Yeah, 1920 to 1936, 1920 to 1931. So, yeah. But, yeah, I, that that film sounds familiar and Pinky sounds familiar, but I don't. I never watched any of them. But I didn't come across any of that in my reading. Well, I'm glad I could stump you on one question. <laughs> uh, you're very knowledgeable on your topic, and I thank appreciate you, you uh, putting in the work for this episode. Yeah, thanks. It was fun. I enjoy this type of stuff. So we think Kenny Washington was a good guy. We don't oh, really have anything definitely negative to say about him. The city of Los Angeles might rise up if we said <laughs> yeah. uh, no. But yeah, that's cool though. I mean, I've never been to Los Angeles, so I don't I'm not like familiar with their sports scene. And you know, most of the the Los Angeles hero athletes, you think like Kobe Bryant and <laughs> right Lakers, Dodgers. Yeah, like all the historical Lakers and Dodgers. Yeah, exactly that. So. It's cool to think of like a, a lesser known football player, mm-hmm. but the fact that he was popular because of UCLA and not getting the recognition he deserves right, in the exactly. NFL. And that, that he was, he got to play his prime year still in front of LA fans by the, with the Pacific Coast League and the Hollywood Bears. Yeah. You know, so he, he's in the public eye with them for so many years. And it's funny because that's why when the league was trying to move teams, L.A. wanted the Rams because that's our team. We want them back. Right. Although, like, sometimes I feel like they liked Oakland Raiders better. <laughs> no one likes the Chargers, unfortunately. They're a fun team, but... Well, San Diego liked them until the owner well, got greedy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Their owner was refusing stuff and just moved them, and now they don't want them cause they're, until the owner sells the team. and He's not going to do that, unfortunately. Well, thanks for tuning in <laughs> to another episode of history's b-side really appreciate you guys listening in if you want more feel free to follow us on social media facebook twitter instagram youtube at history's b-side you can email us comments questions suggestions um history's b-side at gmail.com or if they're corrections about something vince said just find him you can <laughs> Don't find blame me. me pretty easy to find <laughs> <laughs> just kidding I'll, I'll shoulder any criticisms you have of vince <laughs> He can text into me and laugh at it. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening. We'll uh, be back next week with more History's B-Side. Thanks, guys. History's B-Side is an independent, listener-supported podcast. Leave us a review or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting service and follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at History's B-Side. 
Send us your feedback or inquire about sponsorship and advertising opportunities by emailing us at podcast at historiesbside.com. You can support the show by becoming a member or making a one-time contribution at historiesbside.com. While you're there, check out our merch shop, extras, and more. This episode was researched and produced by your host, Philip Hall, and my co-host today, Vince Collotti. Thanks for listening to History's B-Side.